This podcast does not constitute financial or investment advice. It is for educational, general information and entertainment purposes only. Please consult with your own financial advisor before making any financial decisions. The importance of knowing how to sell is really critical. And I think, you know, I wish I would have done that earlier. I wish I would have been in a selling position earlier just to be more comfortable with that. So it's funny, but there were a lot of things I did at Etel Pet that were first for me, like, you know, speaking in a room in front of 300 people. I had never done that before. I felt like the Apple guy, you know, with like, I was wearing all Navy, but you know, like it just having to, be the leader in the meeting, convince people to buy your product. It was really interesting and it was really scary because I had never done that before. You're listening to Banking on Girls, the podcast that explores the importance of financial literacy for girls and young women. And I'm your host, Marina Batmiwala. Join me on this journey to uncover insights and inspiration. everyone. My guest today is entrepreneur Barry Giannini, a Latino solo entrepreneur who's launched her first venture-funded company, Etel Pet, an e-commerce platform that empowers independent pet stores to compete with major online retailers and big pet stores. Etel Pet solves an issue that has prevented many independent retailers from offering e-commerce. Bere has a BA from American University in Paris and an MBA from the University of Southern California. Welcome, Bere. Thank you, Marina. Thank you for having me. Bere, you've spent much of your career outside the technology industry, but you have a really detailed knowledge of the retail pet industry. What was the catalyst to move into technology and what was the problem you were trying to solve with your company, Etel Pet? I was trying to get people around the neighborhood where the store was to come into the store instead of just shopping on Chewy.com. So my husband and I opened a chain of retail pet stores, and it would be really frustrating driving away from the store and seeing the Chewy.com boxes all over the neighborhood and thinking, we have better products. We have good prices. We have things that will make your pet's life better. How do I get people to come into my store? And so we were also invited on the CNBC pitch program that they have. And one of the thumbs down that we got was based on you don't have an online presence as a retail store. And this was back in 2013, 2014. And so back then, buy online, pick up in store was not nearly as prevalent as it is today, especially after COVID. And so back then, it was really a new concept. And so I was trying to figure out how do we do this? How do we marry the two? It can't be that hard because if I can buy a burrito online, you know, from a guy who barely can use an iPad, why can't we get pet stores online in an easy way? And so I set out to try to figure that out. And that's how Etel Pet was born. And, you know, through COVID, we were very fortunate that it really made our business explode because everybody needed this and there was no other solution available. So timing on that whole situation was really good. It was my first time working properly in software. I was connected with a really good group of guys that were engineers and we got along really well and we just started building, building, building. And one thing led to another. And then 
you know, our whole platform was born and it was really great. So I think with my finance background helped with the software. And I think being in software more, I find that there are a bunch of ex-finance people who have now become software people. And so I think the jump was quite natural. Okay. So how much of the success of your company do you think is due to your knowledge of and your comfort with money at a very basic level? I mean, I'm not talking about sophisticated finance, but just really understanding and being comfortable with dealing with money. Well, Etel Pet was not the first company I started and I'm not that young. So at this point, I am very comfortable with money. And, you know, I knew how much I needed. I've been there before where you take too much or you don't have enough. I've been in running companies where the growth is really fast and, you know, you have to purchase so much inventory in order to fill orders. Like I remember one time, this was a product company in the pet space. It was called Dogswell. And we got into Safeway. And so we were so excited, right? It is canned food into Safeway. We got in six SKUs, six different items. And then when we did the math and the number of stores that they had, we were like, oh, we don't have the capital to produce this order. So we went back to Safeway and we said, as much as it pains us, you know, we're not ready for this. And they said, oh, no problem. That's fine. You just have to pay us $200,000 for our loss, this and that. We're like, what? So then we had to get creative and find a way to get the product done and shipped and everything else. So yes, I think being comfortable with understanding how much you need or how to get it, how to plan around it, is really important because without money, you can't really have a company. You've got to pay people and your vendors, et cetera. So I think it played a a significant role. Okay. So you're talking about basic budgeting skills and cash flow. 100%. People, I think, discount the value of understanding accounting. And now after I've sold Detail Pet, I've been looking at other companies and sort of helping other founders. And sometimes, you know, they don't understand what a balance sheet is. And then I was just shocked. I'm like, wait, where's your balance sheet? They're like, what do you mean? So I'm not saying it's necessary. Obviously, there's lots of successful people that don't understand a balance sheet. But I think that understanding the basics of accounting makes a huge difference, especially if you're starting your own company. How did you grow up thinking about money? Now, I know know you have an MBA now, but from childhood, what or who were the major influences in your childhood when it comes to money and having, you have a very positive attitude and relationship with money? I love that question because I actually remember the moment where I decided that I needed to be financially independent. And I was in the car with my mom and we were waiting to cross the border in a car. We lived on the border with California. And so we were sitting there in the car and we're talking and I was, you know, a teenager, maybe 16, 17 years old. And my mom had this very interesting conversation with me about boys. And she said, you know, you have to watch out who you're dating because whoever you end up dating is, you know, that's how you're going to live. And at that time, you know, I was fortunate enough to grow up in an affluent family. And my mom says, you know, because your brothers, their wives are going to be driving Mercedes and their wives are going to be doing all these things. And so you just want to make sure that you're dating the right person, you know, she was searching around the issue so that, you know, you don't feel bad when you come and visit us or, you know, so that you know your place and where you are. And and I thought to myself, gosh, like, I mean, I get the point, but I thought, no, like, that's not what I'm going to do. You know, I want to make sure that I am financially independent, that I don't have to depend on a man to survive or have money. And that is not going to decide 
how comfortable I am and what kind of car I drive. I was like, there is no way that's happening in my life. And so I remember exactly that moment. I mean, I have a picture in my head. I always knew that I wanted to be financially independent and be able to do the things that I wanted to do and not be dependent on a man or a handout or my parents or, you know, anything like that. And so, yeah, that was, it was really important. I think it was a turning point in my life. And you grew up in Mexico, you said just across the border from the United States. How do you think your background has influenced the way you conduct business and think about money? Is there a certain immigrant story or mentality that you think has helped you? There's several aspects to that. The first one being my dad was an entrepreneur himself. Like I said, came from a very successful family. He was a very successful man or is a very successful man. And, you know, just learning, seeing from him. And, you know, of course, I wasn't as involved as my brothers were just because of the culture, right? But I could still hear the conversations and things like that when they would buy a business park or they would sell a business or they would invest in a business. And, you know, I was not a dummy, so I could sort of understand what they were talking about and and listening to that and just seeing my dad and his friends and the businesses that they conducted, you know, all of that was really, really helpful. The other thing is I do remember when I was little, the Mexican peso dropped three zeros. So whereas we would receive, you know, a thousand pesos every Sunday, then all of a sudden we're just getting one peso the next Sunday. And so I lived through that. I was, I was young, but I do remember, you know, that causes you to think, well, how much is the lollipop now? How much is the piece of gum now? The other really important part about that is that because we lived on the border, whenever there was a crash in the value of the Mexican peso, my dad would call my mom and say, rush to buy this, 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 that, you know, because the price before they were able to change the price at the store, it was worth half as much than what it was before. And so I remember at least two times where that happened, where we went, you know, straight to the store, my dad gave my mom a phone call, and all of a sudden, we're buying televisions, couches, you know, all of these things, because they're half off, you know, at this point. And so I thought, understanding currencies and the difference you know, between different currencies, I think was really helpful and helped me sort of be interested in economics and business a little bit more, you know, because now with my kids, for example, we'll travel and, you know, we've traveled to Europe recently, for example. And I mean, the euro is kind of at a dollar, so it's not as, you know, I, they haven't experienced that. Like maybe when we take them to Japan, willing, you know, it's like, whoa, that's a million yen for dinner, you know, and so it's not going to be like that. So I think it was really helpful to have those experiences of thinking in US dollars and Mexican pesos all the time because we lived on the border. That's a very interesting upbringing. And what do you think are the risks and rewards of being an entrepreneur? A tiny fraction of venture capital goes to women. So how were you able to position yourself to be so successful? Well, one thing that I think is really important, I did not necessarily set out to be an entrepreneur. I always had high paying jobs, if you will, not necessarily thinking, oh, I'm going to own my own company. I would strongly recommend, and I say this to my kids all the time, especially the ones that say that they want to start their own company. I say work for at least at minimum five years. You have to work somewhere five years, get trained, you know, go work wherever you're going to work in whatever field you want to work in. Just learn and get trained before you start your own company. 
the benefits, for example, for me, they were the same as when I worked for somebody for a company. For me, one of the most rewarding things is growing people's careers. So I always tell people when I hire them, you know, if you come and work with me, we're going to be working together for a period of time. Nothing lasts forever, right? But my goal and my responsibility, and I will feel like I failed you if I don't do this, is that by the time you leave, you can command a much higher salary. So for me, it's been really rewarding to see people grow from, you know, there was there was one person who worked with me back at Dogswell, so, you know, 15, 17, 20 years ago, and she she just had, you know, her bachelor's degree. She got her MBA while working with me. So we did things where she worked Monday through Thursday and not Fridays and things like that. And, you know, she went on to have a really, really fabulous career at Amazon. And then after that, she came back and we worked together at Etel Pet again because she had retired because she had done so well in her life. And for me, the rewarding parts is helping other people. So whether it's my employees, helping our customers, you know, just doing something that's productive. And we do the same thing in our household today. So I always tell my kids, you know, you all have to be a contributing member of society. And, you know, very recently, my nephew came to live with us for two months to finish school because of an incident. And so he had to go to public school. And so he, you know, we took him in for two months and he had some issues, you know, and he had gotten kicked out of the private school that he was at. And so he came over to our house and I sat him down and I said, listen, you know, after two weeks of struggling, right, screaming all the time and like, do this, do why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Why didn't you pick this up? And I said, it's very simple. We all have to do our job around here. You know, my job is to provide a roof over your head, medical assistance, food. But your job is to learn how to read, how to do math. What are you going to do to be a productive member of society? And while he was here, one of his things on his checklist was, hey, you have to feed the dogs and give them water. And he would forget, especially in the beginning. And I said, listen, I'm not asking you to pick up the poop. The reason why I'm asking you to feed the dogs is so that you care about somebody else, is to train you that when you walk downstairs, you look, do they have water or are they thirsty? You know, and so I think it's just being a productive member of society, I think is really important to teach kids. And it's sort of like something that I live by and gives me a lot of reward. People who backed your venture talk about your tenaciousness and your grit. How did these qualities come to play in the launch and then ultimately the sale of your business? Well, when we started Etel Pet, you know, we have five kids living in West Los Angeles and it's not cheap. <laughs> Obviously, it's pretty hard to sustain. And so for me at Etel Pet, it was live or die. You know, it was past mid 40s. I haven't worked at a corporate job forever and it was do or die, right? And so no matter what, we were going to do this right. And as far as getting VC funding, we had a good product. You know, I think they also saw that I needed the money. So it wasn't like, oh, you know, this is my little hobby that I'm doing. They knew I was going to fight tooth and nail to make this work. And also, I think it was the right time in terms of, you know, I had been at Dogswell for a long time. We had sold that company, had started the retail stores and sold those. So it was, you know, been there, done that, had a track record. And, you know, I also think that the financials that I presented were really good, you know, 
And so I think I checked a lot of the boxes in terms of what VCs look for. And, you know, another thing that I did, which not that everyone will have the opportunity to do this, but with one of the VCs that I went to meet, he had written a book about his life. And so I actually read the book before I went to meet with him. And so I knew which buttons to press. You know, I knew what he cared about in his life. And so I used that. He became my lead investor. So being really prepared, I think, has helped. And, you know, I hear that a lot that women overprepare or, you know, have to prepare or whatever. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but I'm a big believer in crossing T's and dotting I's. And I think that that it starts to make more sense. You feel more confident. You know what you're talking about. And it's hard for people to throw a curveball at you because you've probably already prepared for, you're not always prepared for everything, but be prepared for as much as possible. Right. And I think that's a great lesson for everyone. And, and that's not to say to over-prepare, wasting time, but definitely preparation is a great thing to do in most circumstances. So what are some of the most important money lessons that you have learned? Well, one of them is that it comes and it goes. So enjoy it while you have it and figure out how to get it back when you lose it. So I think, you know, once you start making money, like say you got out of college and you got a job and then you can afford an apartment and then you start, oh, well, I can afford a BMW 3 Series because it's only $200 a month or it's only, you know, I think understanding that what you're earning today isn't going to be the same for the rest of your life and it's not going to continuously grow, I think is a really important lesson that I learned. My husband and I, we went through some financial troubles. We sold a company, had a lot of money. And then we literally lost it all, like practically all of it. And, you know, climbing our way back was a really interesting lesson. And so I think, you know, squirrel money away, save money and understand that the rate at which you earn is going to fluctuate tremendously throughout your life. So be prepared. Yeah. Great advice again. What do you wish you knew when you were younger that you know now? How fun it is to run a company. (laughs) I don't know if it was because of my upbringing or because I, you know, wasn't a man that I, I wasn't that person thinking, oh, I want to have my own company. I want to have my own company. I just knew I wanted a lot of money, but I didn't know that I wanted my own company. And looking back, one of the things that was the hardest things that he told Pet was that, and I had run companies before, but only in the crown. So only operations and finance parts of it. And while in the back, I was the one pulling the strings, not until Etel Pet, I had never been the face of the company. And so with Etel Pet, I had to be the face because I was the only one there in the beginning. And I had to sell and I had never sold anything before because again, I was always operations and finance and sort of analytical type of jobs. So the importance of knowing how to sell is really critical. And I think, you know, I wish... I would have done that earlier. I wish I would have been in a selling position earlier just to be more comfortable with that. So it's funny, but there were a lot of things I did at Etel Pet that were first for me, like, you know, speaking in a room in front of 300 people. I had never done that before. I felt like the Apple guy, you know, with like I was wearing all navy, but you know, like it just having to be the leader in the meeting, convince people to buy your product. It was really interesting and it was really scary because I had never done that before. And so I think that learning more about selling earlier on 
think would have been helpful for me because then it wouldn't have been as stressful at my time at Etelpet. Finally, to wrap up, Barry, what advice do you have to people raising young women in today's world? So I have three stepdaughters of my own. And, you know, and I have a lot of girlfriends, obviously, right? Mom friends and whatnot. I think the most important thing is that girls should never give up their jobs. Like continue working after you have babies. I think that's really, really important because there are so many women now that like their kids are going away for college or even high school and they've spent the last 13 years at home. And then they used to have fabulous careers. Some have MBAs from Harvard or law degrees from Columbia, and they haven't worked in a long time and they don't know how, and they don't even know where to begin. And so I think it's really important to always continue to work, even if you curtail a little bit or whatever you need to do, but I think always keeping a job. So I always tell you know my three stepdaughters, that whatever it is, they need to have a career, you know? And I don't know if I might offend people or not, but like, we can all be moms, right? Like everyone can be a mom. So it's not like, that's not a job. Like you have to have a job. And I remember in college, I took this class and it was an economics class. And we read this book called Who Pays for the Kids? That's the name of the book. And it's an economics book. And it talked about, you know, In certain marriages, the husband does all of the working outside of the home and the woman does all of the working inside of the home. And that's equal. Well, in reality, it's not because the one who brings in the money is the one who has the power. And so I think it's just really important to have an equal relationship with your spouse or similar relationship with your spouse. And again, just, you know, don't stop working just because you have kids. Yeah, and I do think in today's world, there are lots of options to maybe cut down, but keeping in touch with whatever you've built before kids, I think is really important. Yeah, and with work from home or, you know, everything can be remote. It's so much easier these days than it was back then. So yeah, I think that would be my advice is keep your job. Okay. Vera Giannini, it's been a pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you. Thank you, Marina. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Banking on Goals podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate the podcast and be sure to hit subscribe or follow so you can receive notifications of new episodes. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and at bankingongoals.com.